Um, I hope that you're ready for week two in our series of, uh, as we start the book of Romans, week two. Let me be real honest. This is one of the weeks that I have been kind of, uh, that's been kind of weighing on me, kind of heavy on me uh, for the last couple of weeks. Um, because it's probably one of the most difficult weeks that we'll uh, encounter all throughout the book of Romans. Um, This morning, we're going to be talking about some really hard, sensitive, um, difficult topics. And so parents, just wanted to give you the heads up. Um, We want to be as faithful and as true as walking through the scriptures as possible. And oftentimes, that means that we're going to talk about some sensitive issues. And one of those is going to be this morning. And so I'm going to pray here in just a second and just wanted to give you a heads up. If you got your little ones like elementary and down, Paul is going to be addressing a little bit more sensitive issues and we're going to talk kind of freely about that this morning. And so I want to introduce to you our children's ministry, which is a really beautiful place. And if you would like to check your kids in there this morning, they are more than welcome to, but I don't know what else to do um, than to just kind of us wade through some sensitive stuff this morning. And so I just want to say, and, and, and honestly, um, up here, ask for grace and ask for a little bit of room because as much as I uh, try to walk us through this this morning, uh, I also recognize that uh, I'm a poor, often a poor representative of God's heart and thank God that he uses, as he says, jars of clay and uh, people that... Um, uh, Um, are the least to represent his kingdom. And so I'm asking just for a little bit of grace this morning as we wade through some uh, sensitive issues. And so last week we did, uh, we looked at the life of Paul and we examined who he was before he had his encounter with Jesus. And we looked at his life and as a man that was pursuing a life of being good. And he did that by being hyper-religious. And in his religious pursuit of being good, it actually took him to a really bad, bad place. Because that's what religion does. It's always about achieving, measuring up, doing better, and doing good. Which always leads to the spirit of comparison and ju- being judgmental. And that's who Paul was. And last week we talked about the remedy for the religious life is actually the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is there is a king who has come that has forever dealt with sin, death, and condemnation. And so the idea of ever having to measure up has been satisfied in the person and work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so now you and I, as the scriptures say, that we come up and under and we get adopted into the family of God, that you and I get to be called sons and daughters of God. The key verse that we looked at last week was found in Romans 1.17, and it says, this is the good news that tells us how God has made us right in his sight, that we have been declared righteous in God's sight, not because of anything that I have done, but, but because we talked about gift righteousness, that apart from Christ, I um, miss the mark. And it is because he gives me him that I am declared right in his sight. That is good news. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you have been declared right in his sight. Okay, so if that's the good news, what have we crossed over from? That's where Paul is going to take us this morning. That if the gospel is the good news, 
well, what was the bad news? And so Paul is going to walk us into some, uh, honestly, some hard stuff this morning. And so if you will remember in early June, uh, I was fishing down in Corpus Christi and I got, you may have seen on the news, uh, uh, that flesh-eating bacterial that has been kind of in the news and popping up lately. And when I was fishing down there, I actually contracted it. Uh, and I did not know this at the time, but it's pretty dang severe. In fact, uh, over 25% of the time, uh, it takes the person's life. Uh, and there is a, almost a 60% amputation rate um, when you get this flesh-eating bacteria. And so it's pretty severe. And so when I got it, I went um, to the emergency room and the doctor came to me. And the first thing he asked me was, when was the last time you ate something? And I said, I don't know, an hour ago? He goes, we're going to intubate you. We're going into surgery immediately. And 10 minutes later, uh, I am under, getting the puff puff on my face. And I am going under to deal with this um, uh, bacteria. You see, the reality of my circumstances is I needed to hear some really scary um, news. Some news that told me about my actual condition that if left alone was going to end in a very painful way. Um, can you imagine what it would have been like if the doctor walked in and he says, oh, hey, John, oh, it's really not that bad. Here's some Tylenol. We're going to send you on your way. No, that would, have, that would have been actually not kind and actually not loving. I needed to hear the reality uh, of my circumstances. So here comes Paul for us this morning. You have been declared right in God's sight, but I want to show you just how bad it was before the crossover happened. And so if you are new or visiting this morning around Riverside, we say the Shema on Sunday morning which simply means to hear or to, les to listen. It's a, not just a prayer, but also a declaration that whenever Jesus prepared, read the scriptures or morning, noon, and night, he would have said the Shema as a way to receive God's words. And so we say just the first couple of lines in Hebrew, and then we'll say the, le the rest in English. Oftentimes you'll see people raise their pinky, and that's one of the fun traditions that our family has, um, because all throughout the scripture in the Older Testament, it talks about the hand of God or the finger of God, and that's to remind us that there is enough power to transform the world and your very life in God's smallest finger, and we need to hear that as we humble ourselves this morning and believe that God's word is always good, even when it's difficult and it's hard. And so I'm going to invite you to stand as we say the Shema and prepare ourselves to receive God's word. Let's say the Shema together. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Ka, Hero, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. And so God, we love you. We bless you, God. We love your word. We love it when it's good and it reminds us of, uh, of who you are and whose we belong to. We love you, God, even when it's difficult. And so we humbly ask, God, that we come up under your, under your word this morning and that we are vulnerable and that we handle it with great care. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Grab a seat for me. And so if you have been tracking along, 
Uh, we've also created a couple of resources that we'd really like to let you know about. Um, if you have the Bible app on your phone, if you go ahead and open the Bible app, there's three little lines, and if you punch the three little lines on there, a little link will pop up that says events, and then when you click on the events, Riverside's name will pop up, and so well, it'll have all of the slides and all of the scripture references, and I have some spaces for you to take some notes so you can email that to yourself later on today. On our website, we also have uh, our life group questions, and our hope and our desire is that you are beginning to um, gather with other people in the community and work your way through the book of Romans and community because we think that's the best place for the scriptures to be read is actually when you get together and you do uh, skin on skin and you walk through the scriptures together. And so if you will, we're going to be in Ro Romans chapter one and we're going to bump all the way down to uh, uh, 21 and it says this, <clears throat> yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they worshipped the glorious ever-living God. They worshipped idols made to look like mere people and birds and reptiles. And so Paul starts us off this morning. The framing of our conversation is really about worship. And please don't mistake it. Uh, when we talk about worship, that worship is coming here and singing four songs and then you're done worshiping for the week. Paul is going to talk about worship in a much bigger, broader uh, con context. Anthropologists um, would say that we're telic creatures, which means that we are purposed uh, people, that we will always find something greater to live for than ourselves, that you and I will actually attach value to things in our life that are actually worth living for. Um, all of us do that. Even, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you know who Jordan Peterson is. Um, he is a, um, uh, a psychologist up in Canada, and he's making a lot of noise right now. He actually said this about that. He said, so in that sense, there are no real true atheists out there, practically speaking. There are only those who acknowledge the gods they worship, and they're those that don't. See, all of us are purposed, are designed to worship something. In fact, if you grew up, even if you grew up in a Christian home, um, chances are that you gave your worship, you gave over your attention, your focus to a lot of other things rather than God. Um, could have been the pursuit of a girl, of making the team, being with that crowd, uh, getting the job, getting the grades, getting into college, but you gave yourself over the thing in your life that took prominence was not the worship of God, it was something else. And I want to introduce to you a word uh, that describes this. It's called kavod. Um, kavod, whenever we, it's a Hebrew word that actually means wait. And so whenever you, we talk about worship, uh, what we're actually talking about is, is what you give your weight to, right? Kavod means wait. Um, and so a couple of years ago, uh, I've been in Haiti multiple, multiple times. And uh, one of my last trips to Haiti, we were there with a team of our students, and we were in the back of a tap-tap, which is a pickup bed with uh, some benches in the back. It's like their version of Uber. And so uh, we were driving around laughing and having a really good conversation with our friends in Haiti and our translator. And uh, all of a sudden, our translator got really quiet, and he got really uncomfortable, which is unusual for him. And I said, Jonas, 
What's wrong? It's fine. Nothing. Jonas, what's wrong, man? Well, we're passing through the town that is very prominent with voodoo. And I don't know if you knew this, but Haiti is, uh, the voodoo is one of the declared religions of Haiti. And he said, do you feel that, John? Do you feel that spiritual darkness on this side of town? This is a place where it's predominantly, they practice voodoo. And for me, I'm like, thank you, Jesus, when we got out of there. I was ready to get out of that side of town, and I was like, oh, just just kind of get it off to me. And I remember feeling that spiritual darkness. And later that night, I found myself in my room saying, God, thank you. God, thank you. Thank you. I feel bad for those people that have given their kavod, their worship over to idols, to things that have taken greater weight in their life other than God. And I remember even praying this, God, thank you that I'm not like them. And then God knocked me off my religious high horse. Because like them, I have given my kavod, my weight, over to a lot of other idols too that are just as repulsive as voodoo is to God's heart as well. I have sought the approval of others. I have made that a God. Y'all helped me, Jesus, last night. I had a dream that I, I had a dream I got a scratch-off ticket, and I won a ton of money. And you know what the first thing I did was? I went out and bought a Jeep. That was my... I'm like, Lord, help me. I'm the most materialistic person out there. Lord, thank you. I do drive a CRV, just so you know, so it's a big leap. So I've lived for my name. I've lived to be liked. And those things, y'all, let's be honest, they're just as gross as God's sight they're just as ugly idols as any idol out there. Any idol out there. I have given my kavod, my weight, my heart over to a lot of other things. You and I were never created for ourselves. You are designed, you have been crafted to give your heart, to give your worship, to give your kavod, to give the weight of your life over to worshiping God. That is your DNA. That's how God has wired, wired you. You are never created for a me-centered, me-focused life. It's always been about God-focused, a God-centered, God-focused life. And what happens is we give our weight to a lot of other different things. And that's what Paul is going to show us this morning. So let's keep reading. Verse 24. Um, it says this. So God... Wow. Uh, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a re result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped God and they served the gods they created instead of the creator um, himself, who was worthy of eternal praise. So you have to understand that God is not neutral when it comes to sin. He never is neutral when it, when it comes to sin. He always opposes it. Why? It's not just because God um, hates sin. It's because he hates anything that seeks to imprison you. And that's what sin actually does. It is a cage that suffocates the bird. The bird is meant to be free and flying. And what sin actually does is it cages you up. And it keeps you enslaved. And it keeps you 
in prison. And the first wave, as we'll see, of God's judgment is that he actually just gives us what we ask for. It would be like this. So let's pretend um, the earth, who is about 30,000 times smaller than the sun, says to the sun, Sun, I'm sick and tired of you thinking that you're the center of the universe. I don't want to revolve around you anymore. I think everything should revolve around me. Now, the sun wouldn't have to actually punish the earth. What the sun could actually do is just say, okay, have it your way. And what would happen? The universe would crumble because of uh, it does, the earth doesn't have the gravitational weight to sustain the universe. That's very much like what God did for us. He just gave us what we asked for. That was the first wave of God's judgment. Now listen, I understand that whenever a pastor or you come to church and you talk about um, God's judgment, most of us, it makes us really uncomfortable. I don't want to stand up here and talk about God's judgment. You know why? Because I know a lot of judgmental people, and most of them are hyper-religious people, and I don't want anything to do with that. But you and I actually crave judgment. We crave God's judgment. Let's pretend I have two girls that are young. Let's pretend that something horrific happens to them by somebody, and the police catch them, and I have my day in court. And this person is marched in front of the judge and the judge hears the evidence and the judge says, well, I don't want to be judgmental, so I'm going to remain neutral on this. Do you, do you feel that? No. God's judgment is a way to right what has been wrong. It's a way to dole out God's justice. It's actually what you and I crave. It's God's way of reordering what has been broken. And the first wave of God's judgment is just to give us what we ask for. And so you lose a lot of this when we read through it in the English translation. And let me be honest, my Greek is horrible. But as I was studying and preparing for this, you're gonna see some of that God giving us what we ask for. Go to that next slide. It says this. Um, so they exchanged the glory of God for images uh, so God exchanged them over to disgraceful passions of unnatural sexual desires. You see the exchange for the exchange. They dishonored God, so God let them dishonor themselves. They did not see fit to acknowledge God, so God gave them up to an unfit mind. And so what Paul is actually showing you here, and you're going to see in a second, is you and I are created to give our kavod, to give our worship, to give our weight to God. And when you do that, what happens? What gets lifted up? Well, the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, right? All of those things get lifted up. And what Paul is showing you right now is when you give your kavod, your worship over to me-centered, me-focused, these things are going to get lifted up. Does that make sense? So you have the worship of God, the fruits of the Spirit get lifted up, and when you become the center of the universe and say, thanks, no thanks, I got it, these things are going to get lifted up. Now let's jump down to verse 26 real quick. It says this, this is why God abandoned them to shameful desires. Even the women turned against natural ways to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. 
And men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. And men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of their sin, they suffered within them the due penalty that they deserved. Now, a couple of things before we say anything about this. No doubt that the church, not just Riverside, but the universal, the global church, has done a pretty bad job about talking about homosexuality. And probably even a worse job about caring for them. Uh, no doubt that this is a very personal issue for you. I'm sure your friends, um, your families, your loved ones, that this is a real thing. And maybe even you personally, I don't know. Because it is for me. Uh, it touches my life and my extended family, touches my relationships, my friends, probably my best friend to this day. In fact, when last year, a little over a year ago, when this came down about the transition with Scott um, and that I would be stepping into this position, he was one of the first places that I turned. And my probably uh, one of my biggest cheerleaders, one of my biggest encouragements, and somebody I deeply love. And so this is very real and personal, just like it is to you. And yet, I don't know how... Um, to walk through this together. And so we're going to ask God just to reveal some stuff to us, and we're going to handle you guys with grace and with dignity and with gentleness because these are our friends and family and loved ones, okay? Um, now, uh, Paul says um, that one of the results of a me-centered, me-focused life, one of the ways one of the fruits of that, one of the things that gets lifted up are misguided sexual desires. It's just one of many, as we will see here in a second. Paul is not picking on homosexuality right here, and you need to understand this. Paul, you and I are actually created in the image of a very relational God. God is made up as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. At the core of who God is, he's all about relationships. And so it would make sense that if we are crafted in God's image, that one of the first places that we see um, an unraveling is in our natural relationships. And so Paul addresses this issue of homosexuality. And so when I went through seminary, <coughs> um, my professors, uh, one of my professors said, listen, the Bible's very clear about homosexuality. And when he said, but the reality is, I just, I don't agree with Paul. And so I'll take this part of the scripture and just set it on the self. And I thought, at least that's an honest response, an honest reading of the scripture. I have other friends uh, in school and even to this day that believe when Paul is talking about homosexuality here that he is referring to only certain kinds of homosexuality, um, promiscuous sex, one night stands in the Roman world, um, it was very common practice for men to have uh, young boys. And that if Paul knew, like we know today, uh, of two committed homosexuals in a relationship, he would have made a distinction of it. And he just wasn't aware of it at the time. And y'all, it's just not, tr it's not true. I, I don't know what to say. It's, ju it's just not true. Um, 
in the Roman, Paul was aware of it. In fact, Pluto, I know this is straight up geek mode, but Pluto, who wrote about 300 years before Paul, writes about two men, older adult men, and a loving same-sex relationship for over 10 years, and Pluto affirms that relationship. Paul, probably one of the greatest scholarly minds of his generation, would have studied Pluto, would have been highly aware. It would have been in the the culture of Rome at the time, and he highly is aware of it, and yet he makes no distinction about what type of homosexual relationship it is. He just says, all of it is a departure from God's best. Now, please remember that Paul is not picking on homosexuality here. Please get that. It's just one place, as you will see in a second, where when we give our kavod over to something else, it's one of the things that, that, that rises up. All right? Let's keep going. How are you doing? Are you okay? Okay. All right. Verse 28. Since they... Now, let's hit pause for a second. If you're in your Bible app, which I hope you are, and you're taking notes, scratch out they and put we... Um, as you will see, this is a rhetorical question that Paul is making, and then in the next chapter, um, uh, he's going to make the shift to where all of the conversation is says, instead of since they, it'll say since we. The distinction that Paul is making is there's no them, there's no other, there's just we, all right? Since they thought it was foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them over to foolish thinking and let them do things that they should never do with their with their body. Now, Paul has already addressed this issue of homosexuality right here, and now he's going to show you what comes, um, what comes next, all right? So here we go. The first wave. Here we go. The first thing that we could say, next verse, is how this kavod, when we give our kavod over to something other than God, how, how it plays out. The first way you could think about it is economically. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness. So in their, it affected them economically. Next one. Socially, they were filled with sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. And they were backstabbers. So it affected them socially. How else did it affect them? Next slide. Spiritually, they were haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invented new ways of sinning. So it affected them spiritually. How else did it affect them? It affected their family dynamics and their relationships. And they disobeyed their parents. They refused to understand, to understand and break their promises. They're heartless and they have no mercy. And this is not intended to be an exhausted list. All Paul is doing, all he is actually showing you is, is what happens if you give God the most glory and weight in your life Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. But when you have a life where you get to say, I get to decide my design over what you have designed me to be reflect, this is the result of this. Paul might start with homosexuality in this list, but he certainly, y'all, he certainly does not end there. I want you to see that when he goes through this list, he's like, listen, it's everybody. It's all of us. All of us. He even goes on to say, in later verse, he says, of which I am the worst sinner of all. I am the chief sinner of all time. And so I want you to see what, a, what happens when a heart gets displaced and we give more weight over to a me-centered, my desires, than God. Now, when I was 22, I served um, 
at my first student pastor position at a church in Alabama. And it was the very first time that I ever had a conversation with a student about homosexuality. Uh, we were at a retreat, and as you do with retreats, you don't sleep. And we were up late one night talking on the front porch, and one of the students uh, told me that um, he thinks he is gay. And what did God think about that? He said, I'm, I'm a 21, 22-year-old idiot that doesn't know really what to say. I mean, how many of us would really know how to answer that question? And I said, I think Romans actually has something to say about that. Let's go read Romans together. So we read this passage, and I said, okay, what do you think? And he goes, well, it's pretty obvious that homosexuality is like the most egregious sin that, that, that God hates the most. It's like at the top of the list. And I said to him, well, I don't know everything about this verse, but I can tell you one thing I know. That is not what this verse is saying at all. But this verse is actually saying is how that's all of us. That homosexuality is just on the list of one of, uh, one of many. Because when you go through that list, how many of us could raise their hand for every single thing on that list? I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna read it to you real quick. If you'll go back to the very first one, I'll go to it. It says, economically, their, their lives were full of wickedness. My life has been full of wickedness. They, they sinned. That's me. They were greedy. Yes, I had a dream about it last night. They hate. <laughs> they have envy. Murder. Well, anybody off the hook for murder? No, you're not. Because if you take the words of Jesus, Siri says, if you have angry with your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. So that one's mine too. Quarreling, you bet. Deception, you bet. Malicious behavior, yep. I've gossiped about people. I've backstabbed people. Am I a hater of God? Well, if you look at what Paul says about giving over your, your glory or your kavod, I'm a hater of God, I'm insolent, I've been proud, I've been boastful, I invent new ways of sinning, let's talk about college. They disobeyed their, they disobeyed their parents, right? They refuse to understand, they break their promises, that's me too. They're heartless and they don't show any forgiveness, right? Do you see that? How many of us could raise our hand for just about everything on that list. And what Paul is actually doing, what he's trying to get you to see is he's not picking on just homosexuality. Please hear that. What Paul is doing is saying, y'all, there is no they. There is no us and them. It's all of us. Apart from Jesus, we are a mess. We are a train wreck. If you leave me alone, there is nothing good in me except Jesus Christ that I'm not just kind of getting by and I'm in a good place. My life is a train wreck without him. That's what Paul wants us to see. And oftentimes, y'all, we don't get to see, we don't get to determine uh, what gets highlighted. For many of us, it might be greed or um, unbridled ambition or an eating disorder, overeating, lust, pornography, misguided sexual, whatever it is, those fruits will come from a life that's turned inward. Those, and oftentimes we don't get to choose. But at the core of all of them, you need to understand that the root of it is a life that's turned inward. It's a life that says, my desires over your design. 
And that's what Paul wants you to get you to see. And so that should change our posture about the way we think about homosexuality. Because after doing ministry for 20 years now, I can tell you that every single conversation I've had with students in this community and others, when it comes to homosexuality, do you know what they're dealing with? The pri- one of the primary issues they're dealing with God, why did you not take this away? It's a prayer that has been unanswered and they're in pain and they are hurting. God, I don't want to feel this way. I didn't choose it. Take it away. And so whenever we talk about homosexuality or LGBTQ community, our first response is always grace and compassion and mercy. Now, I know that Paul gives us a laundry list of things, our uh, uh, fruits of a life turned inward, but I want us to spend just the next five minutes, and then we'll wrap it up, just the next five minutes having an honest conversation about maybe ways that we, the church, not saying you, Riverside, but the church universal um, has, has really missed the mark when it comes to talking about homosexuality. Like I said, I don't know what else to do this morning, y'all, except us just kind of wade in it and have some honest conversations because there's no easy answers. And so I want to give you a couple of ways I think that we have missed the mark. And the first one is this, believing that God actually does not care about the issue of homosexuality. In this passage, in at least five other scripture references, God addresses homosexuality And although there's lots of conversations going on out in the world about it, um, I I believe scripture's pretty clear about it. And in talking with uh, particularly my friends who are, uh, who would call themselves homosexuals, they would say, John, I did not choose to feel this way. And let me be honest, I agree with them. I agree with them. I believe that oftentimes we don't get to choose the, thing, our, our, uh, the fruits or the desires that come out of us, just like I don't get to choose that I struggle with anger, just like I don't get to choose um, struggling with um, worry, that these things, as deep as they are inside of me, I didn't choose them. They're a result of a life that's turned inward. You get that possessing a desire, no matter where it, how deep it is inside of you, doesn't automatically make it right. It's just a desire that all of us have to bring under the headship of Jesus Christ. My wife is beautiful. She's not in here this service. My wife is beautiful and I love her to death. Can you imagine after 16 years of marriage if I came to her and I said, babe, I gotta tell you the truth. When I go to the gym, I see some women there and I'm just attracted to other women. And I gotta be true to myself and I gotta be true to my feelings. And I want you to know from this point on, I'm going to be a polygamist. (laughs) You know what she would say? Well, I'm going to be true to myself, and I'm going to tell you something too, right? That's exactly what she would say. But just because we have that feeling deep inside of us doesn't mean that it actually gets to determine our reality. Y'all, you cannot reform your way into heaven. That law and obedience doesn't reform a broken heart doesn't reform a broken heart. The gospel is our only hope. It is the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. I 
have desires inside of me that I cannot manage. I have desires inside of me I cannot control. And so do you. Those have to get tucked up under the kingship and lordship of Jesus Christ because I cannot reform my way into heaven. It's about him and about embracing the resurrection power of the cross. And you don't do that by being religious. It's about being born again, about something that is dead being brought back to life. He's called the savior because without him, there is no hope. He's called the hope of the world because without him, it's really dark, right? Absolutely. The gospel message then is not let the gay become straight. It's let the dead become alive. And it's true for me too. Whatever you put on that list, it's not let the greedy become ungreedy. It's let something that's dead become alive. God cares about this particular issue. Next one on the list, thinking that it's the worst sin. Uh, Paul simply lists homosexuality as a result of many. And when you look at this list, I don't know how you read it, but whenever you look at the list and you see something like gossip, do you equate homosexuality on par with gossip? Honestly, right? Probably not. Whenever it talks about greediness or rebellious spirit towards parents, do you put it on par with homosexuality? Because I think Paul does. I mean, this part's going to probably get me in trouble. But I mean, in terms of frequency and of passion, it appears that there are a lot of other egregious sins other than homosexuality in the Bible. Do you know that there are over 31,000, I looked this week, there's 31,000 verses in the Bible. Do you know how many times the Bible talks about homosexuality? There's references about it. Six times. So it appears to me that the Bible, uh, not that homosexuality is any less sinful, but it has other emphases. Jen Wilkins, who is a brilliant writer, says this, and I think it should be the motto of this church. You whisper about the things that the Bible whispers about, and you shout about the things that the Bible shouts about. The Bible appears to whisper more about homosexuality and shout about such things like materialism, greed, and a religious spirit. How many times throughout Scripture do you see Jesus demonstrate great grace and compassion and mercy for those that are caught in a sexual sin? Think woman at the well. Think uh, the woman who's caught in adultery. What do you see Jesus? His heart breaks. It's grace. It's mercy. It's forgiveness. It's the whole enchilada he gives to them. What does he do with the religious proud? He hammers them. He hammers them. You know better. You brood of vipers. That's what he says to the religious proud. Jesus never said... It was hard for the same sex attracted or the homosexuals to get into heaven. He did say it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a religiously proud or a materialistic person to get into heaven. And that's not to say or downplay homosexuality. It's just that whenever the church talks about this particular issue, we talk about it in a different way that maybe then the Bible talks about it. At the core behind all of these different issues is something that we, you and me, are all guilty of. All of us. 
There is no us, there is no them. The core issue is still the same. I get to decide. And there's not one of us in this room who hasn't done that. None of us. And when you, listen, Paul even says in 1 Timothy that he is the worst. He's the chief sinner. And if Christ came to die for me, then he came to die for anybody. And you let that in, you let that sink in, you know what happens? You become a gospel witness. And you will start loving and embracing and welcoming the LGBT community in a way that maybe you never have before. Because they have the image of God stamped on their lives just like me. And I, let me be clear, if there's room for me in this community, y'all, y'all know, if there's room for me in this community, then there's room for everybody. That is the message of Paul. I want you to, and then the last thing I want to say is this, is that there's no uh, real space for the LGBTQ community. I want you to look around at the landscape of uh, the church in America, not just Riverside. And I want you to ask yourself this question. How do uh, the LGBT community feel about the church? Maybe not just what they say, but actually how do they feel about them? Um, because in any relationship, you can say all of the right things and your heart be really far off. Last night, whoo, last night me and my wife were paper cutting each other. Do y'all do that? Where it's just like, we're just kind of picking at each other and had to come to her at the end of the night. I'm sorry, babe. Are you really? I just wanted to get over it. I don't want to talk about it anymore, right? That's the, that's the truth. She, she knows how I feel. She knows my heart. And I wonder if that's true for the LGBTQ community as well. No matter where the church stands or maybe even you personally stand, the response is always the same. Always the same. You are not welcome here. You belong here. You belong in this place. You belong in my life. You belong in my life group. You belong in my family. And you belong at the dinner table with me. You belong there's a lot of things that I grew up hearing and I imagine that you did too that are half measures of truth. And I know I'm gonna go just a little long, so hang with me, I'm sorry, it's important. There are a lot of half measures of truth that we grow up hearing. And I think we have to recreate some framework. Finish this sentence for me. Because this is what I heard about homosexuality all growing up. You love the sinner and you. Yeah. Anybody here? I guess you heard that growing up. I wonder if Paul would say something really different to us. I wonder if Paul would say, love the sinner, hate my sin. Because Jesus comes not for those that know the right, but for the sick. He is the great physician. He's not come for the religious proud, for the that knows those that know they don't belong. And that, y'all, is there a better representation of that? Can you imagine 
what it would be look, that it would look like if every LGBTQ person, when they found themselves lost, lonely, depressed, at wit's end, thinking horrible thoughts, if their first thought was, I gotta go to church. I just gotta get into church because those Christians are the most loving and grace-filled and compassionate people and it's the place that I know that I will be welcomed in with arms wide open. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Listen, I don't want to give my life for some stripped down, neutered, pansy version of the gospel. The gospel is radical and it's more powerful than you could ever imagine when we let it work its way down in our life. Just this last year, this last year, I've met uh, two uh, people in the gay community that are not part of this community, that I've invited to this church. And do you know what they said after I invited them? Am I going to belong? Are they going to welcome me there? Do you realize how painful that is to even hear? Can you imagine somebody feeling like they don't belong or they're not welcome? Didn't Jesus give his life for more than that? And I said to him, oh man, you gotta come know my tribe. They are awesome. They're the best. And they've been here and they've visited and they've met you and they know how radical, hospitable you are and that you are honestly some of the best, finest people I've ever met. The good news is that Jesus came to save sinners, all kinds. It does not matter what kind of sin it is. It just matters what kind of savior he is. Listen, I know that whenever we talk about this issue, oh, it feels heavy and it feels weighty. But it's so good. We need to be reminded of, of scriptures like this that show the reality of our lives without Christ. Y'all, I'm not fine. I'm not okay. I've never been fine and I've never been okay without God, without Jesus taking the center stage in my life. And Paul wants us to see this morning just how bad it actually is when a life is turned inwards. And you know what that should produce in you? What that should produce in us? A posture of getting down on our knees and saying, oh, thank you, Father. You're so good and you're so kind. God, thank you that even when I was at my worst, you stepped in and you gave me what I didn't deserve. You gave me your righteousness. And now I get to stand before the creator of the universe and he says, you are declared right in my sight. That's the transformational power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's good news, not just for homosexuals, but it's good news for me. Because there is no us in them. It's what Paul is saying to us this morning. All of us, all of us have a heart that leans inward. Thank God for the gospel, that the gospel message of Jesus is the remedy for this. This morning... I would love for you to prayerfully consider, oh Lord, what have I given my kavod over to? Is there stuff in my life that I've just leaned and I've given more glory and I've said, it's the thing that I'm really pursuing other than Christ? 
And maybe the Lord is inviting you, as we said, love the sinner, hate my sin. Maybe it's an invitation to look at our own lives, to turn it inward, and to, to see the work that the Spirit might want to do in you this morning. Let's pray together. Oh, God, you are so good and you are so kind. God, forgive us as a church. God, forgive us as a people when we just totally blow it and miss the mark. God, thank you that the message of Jesus is so scandalous and radical. God, anything that seeks to divide us gets washed away under the authority of your name, Father. Thank you, God, that we can stand here, God. Not on our own merit, but on the merit of Jesus Christ. That every standard that needed to be met was met in the lordship of Christ and met in the lordship of Jesus, God. May we change the way we walk. May we limp differently because of the scripture that we got to read and walk out together this morning. We love you, King Jesus. May we examine our hearts this morning. It's in Christ's name, amen. So brothers and sisters, I'm going to invite you to stand and receive this blessing as you go. As always, our prayer teams will be up on both sides. Listen, we talked about some, some heavy stuff this morning. And if this is hit home, if you want us to pray, if you want us to stand in the gap with you, we would feel honored and we would love to. If there's an area where you feel like maybe you get, you've gotten a little off, our prayer teams would love to pray for you. It's one of the biggest honors that we get to do. So please take advantage of that. So now may you go hearing these words as we go. The good news tells us how God has made us right in his sight by his righteousness, not ours. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Love you guys. We'll see you this week.